Good evening, everybody. It's a real joy and a delight to be here. Look, it's very strange for me being here because my mentor in life, my teacher, the man who really reared me used to talk to me about this place all the time. <laughs> he talked to me about when he talked here and how important it was to him. His name was Donald Coggan. He married my wife and I. He baptised our children. And it's just such an honour and joy to be here with you now. It's a good place, isn't it, Wycliffe? <laughs> and I bring you greetings and blessings from another good place, St. George's Baghdad. But before that, I am still a Christian, and I like to pray before I speak. Is that okay? But I don't pray in English, just in Aramaic. It was good enough for Jesus, good <laughs> enough for me. So the blessing in Aramaic, Shemid Baba, Brona, Brocha, Kosha, Ha'alaha, Amin. So I bring you greetings from St. George's Baghdad. It's a wonderful church to be serving. It's quite strange. What's that? Is that my phone? <laughs> Unforgivable. <laughs> now, whatever you do, when you're preaching, don't have your phone in your pocket. I was doing a funeral one day, and my phone started to ring, and everybody said, oh, maybe he's getting back at us. <laughs> so don't do that. I started off my life not in the church. I was a gas man. I can put people to sleep with drugs or sermons. And sermons is a lot quicker. <laughs> I mean, drugs is actually better. Anyway, I left my life of anesthetics and went to Cambridge and did my theology. It's rather good there. But, with respect to all you Christian theologians, I found Christian theology quite boring. So, I switched to Judaism. And I did my doctorate in the role of Israel in Christian theology. Now, I have a few doctorates, but the best ones are those they give you without any work. <laughs> They're far better than the ones you have to work for. So 
so thank you very much. That's <laughs> really kind of you. Do you always give them away? <laughs> in our life in Baghdad, I went there because of my life in Jerusalem. I started off my Middle Eastern work in Israel with Jews in an ultra-Orthodox yeshiva. I was the first Goy, that's Yiddish, for non-Jew, Gentile, first Goy to go to this Orthodox yeshiva in Meishrim. And I learnt all about Judaism and I loved Judaism. And I spent years working there. And back to Donald Coggan again. We used to meet together in his flat when he was retired in Winchester. And we used to study Hebrew together. We used to read the Psalms in Hebrew. And he used to talk me through them and teach me things. So in a way, I was a bit like a Wycliffe student. And then I, um, I was sent to Coventry, which in English is quite bad, being sent to Coventry, because it means nobody can talk to you. Because it comes from the days of Oliver Cromwell, when he used to send the Cavaliers to Coventry as prisoners. And they were allowed to walk around within the city wall, but nobody was allowed to talk to them. So I went to Coventry, and I was heading up the International Centre for Reconciliation. And I was working very much in Israel and Palestinian Authority, and I thought, I also need to do Baghdad. So I tried every way to get to Baghdad, and they said they don't want me. Tarek Aziz, Saddam's deputy, said, what you can do is stop dropping bombs on us, not come to us. Do you know what I did in the end? I got my staff together, and we prayed about it. We prayed, Lord, please let us get in. When you pray, coincidences happen. When you don't, they don't. And the next day, I had an invitation from the government of Iraq to go in. This was in 1998, years before the 2003 war, when we reopened our church. So uh, I was well established in Iraq. By then, I'd been going five times a year. But in 2003, things began to change. I reopened the church with my co-director. He was quite a nice guy. And eventually, I said to the nice guy, I think I need to go and 
he based in Iraq. And so the nice guy said, all right then, you go, I'll look after here. Anyway, I went, and the nice guy, he stayed until he went to Canterbury and became the Archbishop, <laughs> Justin Welby. <laughs> I used to be able to say, Justin, come here, do this quickly, we need you. Now I say, your grace, <laughs> how things change. When I was at Vicar Factory, like you, I presume this is a Vicar Factory, is it? You know, you walk in normally and you walk out like this. <laughs> I had no idea that I would end up serving in a place like Baghdad. You don't know what's coming. <laughs> you could end up there. The job will come up soon. How much longer, Dalt? few more years. <laughs> and yet every day of my life, I thank God for what I learned when I was a student. You might not think so at the moment. You might find it really frustrating all these essays. I still remember my first essay at Theological College. It was called, Did Marcion Get It Right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and um, we were just talking about it. Then one of my great teachers who has taught Judaism wrote about why Oregon was so bad. And recently he wrote about why he was so good. He changed his mind. It's very inconsiderate when those you follow suddenly change everything they've stood for. But it happens. Don't worry. And so in Iraq, in my church, I had six and a half thousand members. And I have had 1,267 of my members killed, just ordinarily, not targeted because they were Christians but just killed because people in Iraq were killed. In the last four months, I do not know how many of our people have been killed. I love my people. I had Elias, one of our fathers, phone 
not long ago and say, Abuna, Abuna, ISIS came to me and they said, you've got to convert to Islam, otherwise your children are dead. He said, I said the word of conversion. Does that mean that Yeshua will no longer love me? I said, no, he will always love you. Two days later, there was another phone call. This wasn't such good news. ISIS had come in and now they had said, we're not asking the parents. We're going to ask the children. And they said to the children, will you say that you will follow Muhammad? Will you become Islamic? And the children took each other's hand and they said, no, we love Yeshua. We have always loved Yeshua. We will never leave Yeshua. We will never speak against Yeshua. So they killed him. Every one of them. They are my children. It hurts so much. Hurts so terribly when your people are affected like that. I have some of my team with me. My Iraqi team all threatened. They've all followed, experienced great risks. Just now we were sitting down in the principal's house talking about what we do regarding the threats of, to Sarah, my project director. She is a Muslim. And she looks after the persecuted Christians who fled to the north. She takes them their food. She takes them their wheelchairs. She takes them their beds and their cots for their babies. Everything. And she's a Muslim. These people who are killing our people now. I can't call them Muslim. They're evil terrorists. Evil, evil terrorists. The real people of faith are those who will stand with us and will care for us and will love those who are despised. Now, this boy here, <laughs> he's my adopted son. I found him in the back of an American tank when he was nine, and he came with me. Good days, bad days, bad days, bad days. 
good days, good days, and eventually married days. I proved with your wife, didn't I? How I have to. It's very hierarchy, you see. You can't marry somebody unless your father agrees. I won't tell you how many people he brought to me asking before I said yes. <laughs> but it was a number, wasn't it? But um, I came over here this time because he and his wife had had a baby and I had to baptise him. And he's called Andrew. My little Andrew. And so we have been through such incredible things. This boy of mine, he has saved my life four times. Seriously. Incredible funny stories of how he saved my life. Daddy, Daddy, one day he was calling out in the garden. And I said, what's up, Dold? He said, come quickly. I go outside. I find four men on the ground with their heads down, with their hands tied and their legs tagged together with American army tags. I said, Dowd, what have you done? <laughs> he said, these people came to kill you. So I got them down. I said, how did you do that? He said, I just copied what the American soldiers did. Yeah, very good job. <laughs> Quite good at that kind of thing. And there are other stories, so many of them. Now, most of you won't experience that in your parish ministry. <laughs> but some of you might. When I was at Vicar Factory, I didn't dream that one day I would be experiencing that kind of life. I spend my days now working with Ayatollahs, Imams, Mandeans, Yazidis, all sorts of people. And generally, we love them. We care for them. This talk is not theological. I just want to share you a few of my experiences of life, of my daily life. One day, I was in New York at one of those conferences between Jews and Christians and Muslims and everybody else, peacemakers in action with the Tannenbaum Center. And there was another conference going on there between Muslims and Jews. And I saw one person there, 
And I was told, she's an Iraqi. I said, why would an Iraqi bid a conference with Jews? Iraqis hate Jews. So I got talking to her. I said, hello there. What's your name? What do you do? She said, I'm called Sarah. I'm a doctor. And I'm a peace activist. I said, you're Iraqi. She said, yes, but I don't live in Iraq now. Too dangerous. So I heard a little more about her story. And I said to her, look, there aren't many people who run centers for peacemaking in Iraq and happen to have a dental surgery on the side. Do you want a job? And she said, no. I said, come and join me for one week. She said, maybe. She came. She's still here. She was a dentist in my dental surgery. She became my personal assistant. Very good having a dentist as a personal <laughs> assistant. She wouldn't let me do any of the anaesthetics for her, though. <laughs> and now she does all of our relief work in the North. And the risks that she has faced are truly phenomenal. She has taken great risks. Every day there are threats against Sarah. And we pray to God for her protection. You know, it sounds very easy. Oh, we're praying for you. I prayed for all of my people. I had my whole leadership team killed in one day once. All 11 members of my church council were taken and killed. This is the reality of suffering for Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, we read that the suffering of this present world is not worthy compared to the glory that is to come. In the verse before, verse 17, we read that unless we share in the suffering of Christ, we will not share in the glory of Christ. We know the glory. We seriously know the glory. It's a very strange thing to say in this kind of circle, but we see the glory of Christ. We see his angels. One day, I was taking some pictures for one of my books. No, I wasn't. Dowd was. He said, Daddy, I can't take the pictures. There's too many angels in the way. 
I said, look, Dowd, let me have a word with him. <laughs> so I went to them and said, do you think we can just have a break for a couple of minutes to take some pictures? Do you think they listened to me? No. So they're in the pictures, messed up the pictures. You can see them in the books. You can buy my books. I don't know when, but there's a good deal. If you're a student, they're half price. <laughs> For students, only $10. For everybody else, they're 20. And the fact is that us lot selling the books don't know who's a student and who's <laughs> not. <laughs> so suddenly I think we should all become students. It's a better deal. What am I doing? Am I having questions now? Shall I sit on my throne? I'm very deaf, by the way, so the nearer you can come and ask questions, the better. I'm always very interested in women in the Middle East. What is it like to be a woman in your church? Sarah. Well, we have a, in the church we have a very big uh, Just be quiet a minute. Just one minute. Look, we've got to face the fact. If you want a job doing properly, you have to get a woman to do it. <laughs> so the women run the church. We run the, the kitchen for the, from the mother union. It's, it's actually, um, uh, they sell the food that they make. Uh, there is a big ministry, they go and they visit um, along with Angel, they have their own Mother Union buses that they go around and they visit, they do prayer visiting, and they visit all the people in the poor areas and all the sick, and they pray for them, they provide as well. They do all the distribution for food. Uh, they, they clean, they cook, they um, sew things, and they, they um, deal with the church. So it is, they are very, and, and also there is a woman, women service, uh, Muslims women service, Service. Um, and the Muslim actually women service, there is a problem with 300 to sometimes 400 women in it, and it's actually led by a woman as well. So the preacher is a woman. Um, she is the wife of the assistant uh, priest for Andrew. Her name is Noah. She is the head of all the So the women run the show. Next one, please. I'm curious, what are the Christian denominations you have in Baghdad, and what are relations like between the different denominations? <coughs> we have Syrian Orthodox, Syrian Catholic, Chaldean, Assyrian, Presbyterian, 
Who else? Alliance Churches, Presbyterian Church. Coptic, Armenian, very big. Carmelites. We had a lot. And before we had this terrible war, at times relationships were difficult. Nowadays, there's no chance for that kind of thing. We're not Chaldeans, Assyrians, Copts now. We are one thing. We are Messihi. We are the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. It's very good for ecumenics. <laughs> Next one. Andrew, in um, your book and the book about uh, St. George's uh, Baghdad. Which book? I'm not sure. I'm not sure of the title. But you <laughs> yeah, but I wrote 13. Okay. Uh, anyway, you, the, the, the books talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in. Uh, in uh, St. George's, and I just wonder if you would uh, talk about that, please. I think you're talking about the book Faith Under Fire. And we have an incredible presence of the Holy Spirit, a bit like the angelic presence. We don't often know what to do or what to say, but as we say at the beginning of every service, Allahumana, the Lord is here, his spirit is with us, and the Holy Spirit guides and directs us. Often, I do not know what to say, but it says in scripture, you haven't got to worry, because the spirit will tell you what to say. And so often I just say, come Holy Spirit, I need you. And he always does. Always. I must admit that since I've been in this situation, I've become quite wacky. <laughs> you know, the theological traditions that I had learnt had not met the needs on the moment. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, and she always does. Never fear, the Lord is here. And he has called you and he will not fail you. Never. Do not fear. The Lord is here. Next one. <coughs> I wonder if you could talk about um, your, the growth in your understanding of prayer since you've been in Baghdad. The growth in? Your understanding of prayer, or just what, how is the really important thing in prayer for me 
now more so than before is not what you say to God, but what you hear from God. And I have spent so long just learning to listen to God, both just emotionally, feeling it, knowing it, hearing him speak through the scriptures, through even the television. I'll be watching television and suddenly I'll have a sense that God is saying, see that? What do you learn from it? That is what I've learned about prayer is that it's really a two-way conversation, a two-way engagement between our Lord and us. Look, I'll be honest with you, prayer used to be a bit boring. Do you ever have that feeling? Or was it just me? But not now. It's not now. Prayer is everything. Next one. One thing I understood, um, actually, Andrew Bennett spoke here a few months ago, and he was talking about who did Andrew Bennett, Andrew Bennett, ambassador. Oh, a great man. And he was talking about humanitarian aid with the idea of helping uh, people in the Middle East to stay in the region. The other issue is whether immigration is, whether you would feel that that would be helpful, bringing more people from Iraq to Canada. You've stolen my son, and I'm taking him back. Not to Iraq, but Jordan. Canada has been the best country in the world at accepting our peoples who were at risk. And the fact is that many of the people who are here had to come here. Britain hasn't accepted one refugee. Canada and Sweden and even the US, even the US. Do you know there are more Iraqi Christians in Chicago than in Iraq? So I would like to thank you. We don't want you to take our people. But unless you do, they have no future. I don't want my people to leave. But unless they do, they are at great risk. Thank you. Thank you. Next one. I'm wondering what you would say it would look like for us in the West to stand in solidarity and support, and how can we be active participants as brothers and sisters in Christ in your community in such a different context? You 
you're a nice person. <laughs> you're a nice person. That is a really good question. I always say we mustn't just pray for peace, we need to pay for peace. Because in order to worship bringing about peace, you need to really be able to do it. And you can only do it if you fund people, if you help them, if you help this work. And Canada has the one organization in the world which has truly stood with us, which is called the Voice of the Martyrs. VOM Canada has been an incredible ally of all of us throughout our torture. They have been with us. They have organized most of my tour this week. And we love them. Next one. Um, in terms of our interaction with the Muslim community here, what would you say would be our uh, responsibility as we interact? Is it growing? Um, and how, how do you see that? The key thing is relationship. You need to love each other. When you meet, you must eat. Invite them over to dinner. And don't just give them a cheese biscuit. You know, I don't like eating very much, but Iraqi culture, for example, I'll go to dinner with the Ayatollah and then I'll have a whole sheet on the table and there's three of you. <laughs> Seriously. If you love somebody and respect them, you give them lots of food. It's what you need to do. And it doesn't matter. Most of the Muslims, you see, well, you do have a lot of Iraqis here, but you also have a lot of Bangladeshis and Pakistanis and Indians and Indonesians. You've got everything here. What would you say is the biggest lie the media presents about the situation? And what would you say is the biggest oversight that the media overlooks? Can I be honest with you? You know, there's always the presentation media is so negative. I don't feel that way. Particularly from the media on the ground. We have had Canadian media amongst us in Baghdad. We like them. They're our friends. And I have regularly spoken to the Canadian media, and they have tried to get out the truth. So I'm quite pro them. 
And I don't think we should just slam the media all the time and say they are rubbish, they don't tell the truth. They tell the truth as far as they know it. So, be kind to them. Um, where, where do you see the hope for Iraq? <laughs> I don't. I used to. I'm very, very connected with the children. I love the children. I just pray and hope that when our children grow up, they may be different. And we just can enable them to grow knowing love. One of the things I'm doing at the moment is trying to help a lot of the refugee children in Jordan. There are thousands and thousands of them. They have no school, no school at all. And next year, I mean January, my ambition is to try and open school again. Sarah and I, in our Baghdad time, we have our doors open all the time to the children. And our hope is the children. Our hope is the love that the children have gained from us and the love we have given to the children will change them. Now, we have a little competition because in our compound there are two children, Rita and Gorgis. And Rita loves Sarah more and Gorgis loves me more. And so we're always competing. Who do you love most today, Rita? Who do you love most today, Georgies? You've got that fellow up. <laughs> so Sarah's winning. She's got the girl. I've got the boy. And I love him. It's really difficult because what is the hope? When you look down and see on the front row here, Daoud, who came with me, who lived with me, who worked with me, who suffered threats whilst he was with me. When you see that he has escaped, you think, what is the hope in Iraq? All our hope is leaving us. So it's very difficult. But our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. That's it.
you're not able to go into Iraq right now. No. Could you tell us a bit about what, how you got to Jordan? How did I what? Get to Jordan. On the plane. You just take the plane. Take it all the time. So, my people now, I reckon I've got more of my people in Jordan than Baghdad. The other Tuesday, I did the Tuesday night Iraqi service in Amman, and there were 1,500 people there and a lot of them were formerly of my congregation. So it's difficult. But the one thing all of you need to remember in the ministry which you are called to is it is not about taking care. It's about taking risks. Don't take care. Take risks. And things will happen. <laughs>